On this episode of the Concast, we're going to get into how to avoid burnout, round number two. health, wellness, and injuries in an attempt to better understand the human body. This is episode 131. And for today's episode, I thought that we would go back to one of the most listened to episodes, the third most listened to episode that I've done. It was episode number six, which means that I had been podcasting for a total of six weeks when I recorded it. And it was titled How to Avoid Therapist Burnout. In that episode, I listened back to it yesterday. Honestly, it was a little bit comical because it was literally the sixth podcast that I've had done and I've now done 130. So a little bit embarrassing, a little bit funny to listen back to just what I was saying, the pace I was using. But That's one of the reasons why podcasting is so great. You can use your previous episodes to pick up on things that you'd like to do better moving forward. But anyway, during that episode I talked, it was about therapists burning out. And I thought today's episode I would do more of a just general podcast on burnout. The goal of that podcast was to essentially give people some tools to try and avoid burnout. Now that podcast was shot February 7th, 2020 which was prior to the pandemic, so roughly three plus years ago. Over the last three years, I'm assuming that there have been a lot more people that have experienced burnout, uh, whether it be in your job, whether it be yourself as a business owner, or just as an individual, it seems as though life over the last two to three years has really changed for a lot of people. So from what I understand, in reading the instances of burnout have increased drastically during this time, as well as a lot of people are questioning just life in general. What do they want out of life? What do they value, etc.? So over this past three years, I'm going to share with you what I've learned additionally about burnout. And I think it's a lot. I think that in that first episode... I was talking a lot about business, and while that's valuable, I think what I've learned in the last three years is even more valuable that you can then use as a precursor to burnout in business, burnout in employment, burnout in relationships, etc. I think before we get into these tools, it's also important to try and reframe and redefine what burnout is. And in that episode, I discussed burnout as the inability to be conscious of either your physical or cognitive demands or gas tank of yourself. And so you might be doing more physically and or mentally than you can withstand. However, you're not conscious of it, as well as you might not have a plan in place to be able to manage things along the way and then things accumulate and essentially you get burnt out. Burnout can present 
in a variety of ways from chronic fatigue to irritability to you know withdrawal it really depends upon the person and then there are many people that are burnt out and just do not know it it may be that performance has suffered in their workplace it may be performance has suffered in relationships and it's brought to their attention and they were completely unaware of it so i think that a good place to start from is value set and what I've learned over the last three years for myself is that values are almost everything. If you don't understand what your values are, then how are you able to make decisions about the rest of your life? And I brushed over this in episode six, but it, you know, it was something that I wasn't really well versed in, if I'm being honest at the time. And it maybe should have been the first point and the most important point, which is why it's the first point in, in today's show. If you don't understand what your values are, a lot of the time, the decisions that you're making are blind, and then the consequences of those decisions, you're often finding out that, oh, I didn't actually value this. And one of the biggest tools for me that has been helpful is uh, value sort cards, and these were developed by Dr. William Miller in 2011. Essentially what these are is there are 100 different statements you can print them off online you can just get the just google william miller value sort cards and it'll bring up a pdf and the categories are not important to me somewhat important to me important to me very important to me and most important to me so you've got those five categories you essentially put those on a table and then you sort through these 100 different statements and you place them where you think they belong to you. And at the end of it, you have a quite clear picture of what you value and what you don't. And it allows you to start making decisions based on your values and your beliefs. And these statements are, again, 100 is a lot. But these statements are everything from things like exercise to world peace. And you, again, put them along whatever continuum exists for you. And then you can look at yourself externally and say, okay, these are what I currently value. And this doesn't mean that things won't change for you as you go throughout life. And it doesn't mean that you couldn't do this a few times throughout the year. But at least it allows you to build a framework for now, allowing yourself to make decisions. And if you can make decisions based on your values, for me anyway, I feel much better about doing that in that it feels as though... I'm not going into things blindly, and that leads to, for myself, overall less stress. Speaking of stress, one of the things that I've come to learn over the last few years and even before is this idea of perceived urgency. And a lot of the time, we perceive things as urgent when they just aren't. This is often due to external pressure from another person or a group of individuals. So someone might be needing something from us. Maybe it's in a relationship or a workplace or a friend or a random person. And this urgency is projected onto us or we project it onto ourselves. And probably 
10 years ago, I was having a conversation with a patient of mine who was a high-level executive, and they were saying that one of the things that has helped them organize their thoughts with regards to urgency was the Urgent Important Matrix developed by Stephen Covey. This is a 4x4 square where the horizontal axis, you put urgent and non-urgent, and then on the vertical axis, you put important and not important. And it's basically four squares, so you end up with things that are urgent and important, you end up with things that are non-urgent and important, and then the non-important things. And one of the things that was brought to my attention during that conversation that I think is true for many is that many people get caught up in the third column, which is the urgent but not important column. You spend a lot of your time doing these things that are perceivably urgent, but they really aren't important to you or important in the grand scheme of things. And then you get lost in addressing the things that are urgent and important. So this idea of really understanding what is urgent to you in the context of a day, week, month, or even year has been really, really extremely valuable for me in looking at the context of organizing my life. And so it's as simple as when you have a lot of things on the go, and you're feeling overwhelmed, to break this matrix down in a day, in a week, and just list, okay, what are the things that are really, truly important and urgent right now? What are the things that are perceivably urgent, but they're not important? And then what are the things that aren't urgent at all and not important? That allows you to list make, it allows you to address these things and then come back to the list as much as you need to and really organize yourself and understand, okay, while these things, you know, I'm getting emails from three or four emails about this thing, it's really not that urgent in the grand scheme of things. I'm just going to email this person back and say, look, I'll get this to you by the end of the week or I'll get this to you in a couple of weeks. I've got other things that I'm tied up in. I do this weekly for sure, and if not, a couple of times a week, and it has been very, very beneficial in helping with instances of burnout because it allows you to organize yourself. The other concept that I've been investigating quite a bit over the last three years especially is this idea of happiness, and I've talked about this in other podcasts with individuals a number of times, and I think happiness is ultimately where everyone is trying to get to. And the the irony of that is that we often see this journey of happiness and we're chasing this daily grind or idea of happiness. I mean, I can only really speak to myself. This idea of why do we think that happiness is a place that we need to go to and often looking to external things for happiness, whether that be people, whether that be goods, just things like I need a new car, I need a new house. One of the things that I do all the time is I'm always on real estate websites looking at new houses. I'm not really sure why that is. Often when we get into the chase, we don't have the opportunity to sit 
in front of things that truly make us happy and just trying to understand that once a lot of our needs are met, a lot of the things that make us happy are already in front of us. I'm reading a book right now by Rick Hansen called Hardwiring Happiness. If you're interested, this is a great little book to address the topic of happiness and provide tools for creating happiness in everyday life. And it's really a great book. It's a really, really easy read and has some really simple yet great tools. And and Rick Hansen has written a number of different books on the concept of mindfulness and happiness. So I'd highly recommend checking that out. The other thing that comes to mind when I think about the idea of burnout is difficult decisions. This idea that often decisions that we know we have to make for the betterment of ourselves are difficult to make. And this concept is something that I'm going through right now. And these decisions can really weigh on you mentally. The reason being is that you know that if if someone else came to you for advice about a similar circumstance or scenario, you know that you would be very clear in your communication and understand as an onlooker that this decision is quite clear and probably the best decision for them. But that doesn't mean that when these decisions arise for you that they are particularly easy to accomplish. It may be very simple that you understand the decision that you have to make, but it doesn't make it easy to do. A lot of the time, you wrestle with this back and forth. And I remember having a conversation with a patient maybe 12, 13 years ago that was really struggling in a job that they disliked. And what they were struggling with was It was a great job, paid very well, had great benefits, had great potential for future growth, but they just didn't like the job. They didn't like the people that they were surrounded with on a daily basis, and they knew that they had to leave, but they really struggled with the decision, and it took them a long time to get to a place where they were able to leave. I think it was over the course of a couple of years. They went into counseling about it. It weighed on their family and friends. And when they would talk to their friends about it, their friends would give them very clear directive on it sounds like you know what the right decision is and that you need to leave your job. That doesn't mean, again, that these decisions are easy. Often I find writing down what are the two or three most difficult decisions that you have to make in your personal or professional life and weighing them in a positive or negative column might give you some temporary relief while you loop back to them. Also offering yourself a little bit of compassion in that when we know that these decisions are right in front of us, but we still can't make them, that that's okay as well. And that maybe that time will come when you'll be able to move and make that decision, or maybe it won't be. And one of the things that someone told me years ago that I still take with me is whatever decision you make is the right decision. So even though you're really struggling with a decision that you can't make, 
that's okay right now. That is the current decision that you're making and therefore it's the right one. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe something else will come up that's better. And just owning that whatever decision you are making currently is the right one, even though this voice kind of lingering in the distance is telling you that, you know, you need to do this now or what have you. Be okay with your current circumstance. A lot of the times when we are faced with these decisions, we look to other people for advice. And I do think that that's important anyway for me in that it allows you to see different perspectives. And so I think that when we're burnt out, we should tell people that we're burnt out because the reality of it is, is that a lot of other people are burnt out as well. And allowing you to talk about it amongst yourselves, maybe get into an accountability group or you can work on it together separate if you have a mentor you know a lot of the time I'm discussing with students or newer therapists if you have a mentor that you can go to to feel a little bit supported and help structure your business your business growth your career growth if you can pay for mentorship or therapy to help you navigate a lot of the things that we've talked about already tough decisions through an objective non-judgmental lens then it takes a lot of the sort of internal stress and and burden, not necessarily off you, but will allow you to reframe it. Communicating this to others, as well as just communicating with people in general and asking appropriate questions, can allow some of the stress to settle as well. This idea that a lot of the times, and I'm guilty of it, also assuming things without communicating with other people and taking for granted the nuances and context of communication can create a lot of stress. So asking, you know, what did you mean by this can go a long way. The example that I'll give you is this morning I was walking the dog and this gentleman walked by me and was kind of not really paying, overly paying attention. And he walked by me and he said something to the effect of, oh, it looks like the dog is looking for something to eat or he was sniffing on the ground or something like, oh, he found something to eat. And he was just kind of making a joke. But in that instance, the way that he first said it, I understood it as him saying my dog was underweight and needed to eat. By the time that I had realized what he had said and recontextualize it, he was already like 15 feet away from me. It was one of those circumstances where I couldn't run after him and be like, oh, laugh or receive his joke in a way that was now going to be meaningful for him. It was just one of those circumstances where he said something very quickly. My brain understood it as one thing, which it definitely wasn't. And then that interaction was over and he probably thought, oh, that guy's a, you know, that guy was a bit cold to me. And here originally I got, you know, guarded by what he said, which is not actually something he said at all. And that was like a, you know, 35, 30 second interaction kind of thing. Probably not even that. 
And so there's so much nuance to communication, context, you know, the brain predicting what's going to be said versus what's said. You know, we have all these modes of communication, text, email, social media that really take out some of the most important elements of communication, face-to-face, nonverbal communication, and body language. And a lot of this can lead to stress. And so when you're talking to people about your burnout, also try to communicate very clearly with individuals about what expectations are in in your day-to-day life. And I know that this can be easier said than done for different types of people, but if it's something that you can start to work on, it might be valuable for you. One of the other things that I have found to be useful over the past few years is having a structured time of day for yourself or myself. And a lot of people will call this like self-development. And one of the things I'm guilty of is I've always put time probably in the last 10 years, maybe not every day, but regularly for if you want to call it self-development. So this might be meditation, this might be working out, this might be journaling, it might be list making, it might be a gratitude list, could be a variety of things depending on the type of person that you are. But one of the things I'm very guilty of is being obsessed with the self-development. And all that really becomes is then self-development just becomes another thing that you're doing all day. This has just come to my attention recently. I think I either heard someone talking about it or someone had mentioned it to me where if self-development is just another thing that you're doing and you're not really taking it in for what it is and you're maybe obsessed about, you know, I've meditated for 40 days in a row and then I missed a day. That's really truly not what it's about. Just having time set aside for yourself It's structured that allows you to maybe plan your week or your your day, maybe going back to that matrix that we talked about or value sorting that we talked about at the top of the show. A time maybe to reflect if that's something that you're interested in or just organize your your life. So you're able to try to get ahead of things and be organized so that when things come up, because things always come up, even when you are extremely organized, it is a little bit less stress and burden on you and allows you to be a little bit more resilient to burnout. The opposite of that is I think it's also important to have unstructured time of the day for yourself, time to have fun, unwind, turn your brain off, watch mindless TV, hang out with a friend, work out if that's what you enjoy, go on a hike, you know, make dinner for yourself and have that time where you're able to be happy and do things that you enjoy. One of the things that, you know, a lot of people will tell me is, oh, I have a a guilty pleasure show that I like to watch. And there is almost this element of, you know, they don't really want to tell you what it is or they, you know, feel a little bit embarrassed about it. But for me, I think that's great. I think that especially if you work in a fast paced setting or you are, you know, looking after a lot of people throughout the course of the day, it's great to be able to turn your brain off and enjoy a guilty pleasure and have fun and enjoy all of the hard work that you've put in during the day. 
Because ultimately, when we have these times that are structured and unstructured, they allow us to come back and be better people for the people that we serve or the people that we have in our life. Speaking of the people that we have in our life, you know, there's this idea by motivational speaker Jim Rohn that individuals are the average or the product of the five people that they hang out with most. You know, this is a common quote that you hear from individuals. And then there are people that come back and say, well, that's not actually true. But I do think it's important to look at the individuals that you spend the most time with and see whether they are contributing to your burnout or you think they are contributing to your burnout. And then what is the role that you play in that? Are you communicating appropriately with these individuals and setting up your expectations? Do you understand, again, what your values are and what their values are? Are you able to communicate about that? Do you have to let some people go? Have you had long-term friends and it's not really working out? Are you in a relationship that's not serving you? Are there people that you spend too much time with that you could spend less time with? Are there other people that you'd want to spend more time with? And is that something that can, can happen? So understanding that the people around you that you do spend time with regularly definitely have more influence than the people that you don't spend time around. It could be the absence of those people that you'd like to spend more time with is also causing you some some stress and burnout also. There can also be circumstances where there is times or there are times where you're spending time around people that really don't serve you well, and there's not really an option for you to reduce that in any way. And that's a really difficult circumstance to be in, and that can certainly lead to burnout more quickly in that you're in this, you feel a little bit trapped. But just reflecting on, okay, what is my inner circle right now, and how does that relate to the context of everything else? Furthermore to that, really knowing who you are in terms of your personality type. This might be as simple as, are you an introvert or or are you an extrovert? Do you understand truly what those things are and are you okay with it? I remember years ago, I was speaking with someone about being an introvert, being a, a very shy person, especially in a career where I'm not super forward-facing, but I'm dealing with people on the day-to-day. I'm teaching in front of people. You know, there's this interesting tug of war I seem to always have where I am extremely introverted, but with the businesses and the career that I have, I'm usually in front of people. Out of that conversation came this idea that what is it that I need throughout the course of the day to satisfy my personality type as an introvert? So for me, this might be alone time, being away from individuals, being away from people so I can recharge. How does that work into my day as a person that is in front of people all day? Can I start my day with some structured alone time of reflection and goal setting? And is that helpful for me? One of the biggest things in speaking to being an introvert, I'll probably do a podcast on personality types and try to have somebody on that's more well-versed in it than myself, but 
the biggest lesson that someone has ever taught me about being an introvert, and I guess this might be helpful for both introverts and extroverts, is this idea of projection in that introverts get a lot of things projected onto them by extroverts. So the simplest example of this might be what's wrong. If an introvert is quiet or they're sitting in the corner, they're just having some time by themselves, individuals will often say, well, what's wrong? And maybe if that person's an extrovert, they're trying to get their energy from that person, but they're not because they're an introvert and there's just a juxtaposition there. If you're an introvert, understanding that projection is a real thing, and as an introvert, you often get things projected onto you. So someone might say, well, you're not happy right now, or you're angry. Um, But the reality is, is that you're perfectly fine. You're just quiet. When you understand that people project things onto you, it allows you to be a little bit more mindful when it happens and not internalize the concept the person is giving you. Because then what can happen is if enough people say it to you, you're kind of like, oh, well, why am I angry? Or why am I sad? Or why do I need to do this? And the reality of it is, is that you don't need to do any of it. You just need to understand that this is a projection and you're actually okay, and you can move forward. So, you know, I can only really speak to it from my personality type, and I'm sure extroverts, again, have different requirements and needs throughout the course of their day. But just understanding that this is the type of person that I am, this is what I need throughout the course of the day to give myself positive energy and prevent me from burning out. And then when you're mindful of it, you can go out and and structure that into your day. The last thing that I've learned over the last three years, and I mean, I guess I haven't learned this only in three years, but this is just what's coming to mind. And I think I've talked about this on maybe other podcasts, but I've certainly talked about it in teaching over the years, is this this idea of saying no. The idea that it's okay to say no to things, particularly if you are an individual that's a people pleaser, so you're always saying yes to people even when you don't want to do things. The reality of it is is that we should be saying no to things regularly, you know, whether it be weekly or daily, because there are plenty of things in the world that individuals don't like to do. You know, speaking of of being an introvert, if it's a really big party on a Friday, and someone asks you to go to that party a couple of weeks before, and you say yes, you know that the week leading up to that Friday is going to be potentially agonizing for you thinking about going to that party. So what is the importance of that party? Is it something that you you have to go to? Can you go for a little bit? Do you have to go to it at all? Looping back to this idea of perceived urgency is someone you know really after you for something that you know is just not important to you and someone else can do it and you can just say no to it is someone presenting you with an opportunity and you don't think it's going to be particularly valuable to you but you feel as though there's a lot of pressure for you to accept it what are the consequences of saying no Can you set things in place that 
prevent you from saying no to things, but still send a clear message. One of the things that one of my patients did years ago was they set up an autoresponder on their email to say, I only answer emails between, I don't know what it was, 9 and 11 and 4 and 6. They're working in a sales position for a big corporation. And they were just getting bombarded with emails at, you know, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. all weekend. And they felt as though this was something that they needed to address. They were having all this perceived urgency projected onto them. And they couldn't really put their phone away. And so they just set up an autoresponder on their email and said, I answer emails Monday to Friday, 10 to 2, 4 to 6. I don't answer them on the weekend. And then what happened is people just stopped emailing during those times. I mean, not completely, but the majority. And they would email, you know, 7 a.m. And they would email at maybe 1 p.m. Because they knew that this individual was going to answer emails in that two-hour window. And that led to a much more efficient process. It didn't affect job performance. Bosses didn't come down on them. And I know there are people that are listening right now that are saying, oh, I could, I could never do that. And I would just push back and say, is that actually true? You know, there are certainly some people that are working on call, but there's never been an email for myself that I would get at, I don't know, 10 p.m. that couldn't wait until the next morning, let's say. And I understand that there are definitely careers where that's not going to be the case. And this is just a... a Simple example of someone trying to set up things and put things in place where they don't have to say no. If you can't do that and you're getting a request at an odd time, do you have to say yes to it? This concept came to me through reading a book called Essentialism by Greg McEwen. And this is the idea of this. It's a business and kind of life book about, you know, really setting yourself up for success through the process of extreme exclusion. It allows you to make a very clear path and understanding of what's important to you in life and in business. This really just loops back to where we started the top of this show talking about values and beliefs and what things are truly important to you. And if they're not, are you able to make those difficult decisions and say no to them? That's going to kind of wrap up today's show. Maybe go back and listen to episode number six about how to avoid therapist burnout. It's titled that, but there are a lot of things about burnout in general. It's a little bit, again, of a, a different episode because I was still just a, a rookie in the, in the podcast space. But my question for you this week is, you know, over the last three years, what has changed for you in terms of, of life and, and burnout and how do you see it and what has been valuable to you? I'd love to know in the comments below. As always, folks, I hope that you found this episode to be of value to you. Have yourselves a great weekend, and we'll see you in the next one.